Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Inman, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Pastor Corey, one of the associates here at Orange, and it is a gift to be with you this morning. Uh, I know we've kind of uh, avoided the subject so far, but yeah, last night um, happened. And I just want you to know, a lot of my pastor friends were very, very, very sad, as you can imagine. Because, um, you know, Duke has a divinity school, UNC doesn't. Um, but uh, not all of my pastor friends ha- had to come preach in Chapel Hill this morning. So, <laughs> And I said at 9 o'clock, and Pastor Adam and Josh were my fellow Dukies, they were so overwhelmed, they couldn't even be here today. So, (laughs) but it is a joy to be with you. And uh, I want to tell you how proud I am for you coming and gathering this morning to declare at this table, to declare, regardless of what transpired, that we seek to be reconciled and to be at peace with each other. To me, that is a beautiful, magnificent thing, and it is one of the gifts that this table, Christ's table, offers to us. Even if we may not truly feel it this morning, we still do it, and we trust that our hearts will eventually catch up to our heads and to our hands. And we do, in fact, come to this table to confess Perhaps some of the choice words we screamed at an inanimate object last night. But most importantly, we come to confess to God that we have not lived up to God's deepest desires for us. We haven't served God wholeheartedly. Now, in the last weeks, we have been on a journey through our prayer of confession, our communion prayer that we will say together this morning. And we've been journeying through it. We've We've considered what it means that we failed to be an obedient church, that we have not done God's will, that we have broken God's law. And today we consider, we continue, and we think of the phrase, we've rebelled against your love. We have rebelled against your love. Now I've often heard the Bible described as God's love story with humanity. And we can point again and again to passages that communicate just this. John 3.16, for God to love the world that he gave his only son. Or we think about Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, ending with nothing, nothing can separate us from the great love of Jesus Christ. The story that God desires we find our place in is absolutely the story of God's love for us. And the story we as a church are committed to helping people find their place in is the story of God's love for us. But as much as the Bible is a story of God's unconditional love communicated to us and displayed for us, the Bible is also a story of our collective and our individual rebellion. Rebellion against that love from the very beginning in Genesis. We find the story of creation. We find Adam and Eve as God has 
created us out of his belovedness for us and then entrusted us with the gift to be over so much of it. That is out of God's love. And God tells Adam, he says, you may freely, freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall die. And if we're familiar with the story, we know what happens next. The serpent comes and he tells Eve and Adam that if they eat from the tree, they actually won't die. They'll instead become more like God. And they believe the serpent. They follow the serpent's instructions in a desire to gain what they think will bring them wisdom and power. They rebel. And of course, of course God comes and he calls to them. He knows where they are. But out of this deep love, he calls to them and asks them what has happened. He tells them the consequences of their rebellion, but he also demonstrates profound mercy. They do not die. They live. But what happens in that disobedience, what happens in that moment is that we discover as humans that in an attempt to express our own freedom, Adam and Eve actually lose it. Instead of being free for joyful obedience that comes in our pursuit of God and sharing the world with God, Adam and Eve and all of humanity become enslaved to our own desires, to the snake's temptation, to our own vices. In this moment, we don't believe the author of creation, we believe the serpent. This becomes humanity's story, choosing between the serpent and the one who created us. In believing the serpent's words, we are held captive by our desire for short-lived and fleeting pleasures. Just a momentary satisfaction. We are held captive by whatever our hearts become addicted to. We are possessed by our possessions. We are consumed by what we consume. And those pursuits, they're always self-focused. And we alone, we are unable to free ourselves from this sin. Because church, when our hearts are not filled with God's love, something else will seek to fill it. Those things that compete for our attention and for our very lives. And this again becomes the rebellion of humanity. This is the rebellion of Israel. We see countless examples of it throughout scripture. We, do we choose the serpent, the world, or do we choose God in righteousness? Jacob's jealousy over Esau leads him to deceit and betrayal and a life lived in fear. Joseph's own brother's anger, born out of their jealousy, leads to his enslavement and his near death. David's lust after Bathsheba leads to her entrapment and ultimately the murder of her husband, Uriah. And Israel's corporate sin and individual desire for wealth and power leads to their neglect and oppression of those they have promised to protect the widow and the orphan. And ultimately to their neglect of the one who set them free, who led them out of the land of Egypt, who delivered them 
restored their freedom and gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. Yahweh. And scripture reveals to us that this repeated rebellion, again and again, it breaks God's heart. God's heart breaks when children fill their hearts with empty things, things that ultimately lead to death rather than being filled with the righteousness of God's love and grace. All of which leads to human flourishing. And our rebellion against God's love, it has destructive consequences not only for ourselves, but for all of creation. Isaiah, as a prophet of Israel, has come to proclaim and remind Israel of exactly this. That Israel's rebellion can never lead to life. It can only lead to death, to being consumed by the sword. Isaiah writes, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know me. My people do not understand and skipping ahead, off sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, offspring who do evil, children who deal corruptly, who forsaken the Lord, who've despised the Holy One of Israel, who are utterly estranged. Why do you seek further beatings? Why do you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Come now, let us argue it out. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white like snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. Can you hear the desperation in God's voice pleading with us? God does not desire to control us or punish us. God desires to save us and restore us from that which already possesses us. God delivers Jacob from the fear and bitterness of his brother and restores them. God saves Jacob, uh, Joseph and reconciles him to his brothers. God forgives David and never abandons him. In our rebellion, in our desire to satisfy our own longings, we become more and more estranged from the true source of life and freedom. And we become more and more a slave to our own sin. We listen to the serpent's voice. Yet in our rebellion, God doesn't seek to punish us further or to teach us further. In our rebellion, God desires to forgive us and to redeem us, to restore us, to give us back our freedom, to remove that distance so we can once again hear God's voice. Now, we can begin to think or to believe that our rebellion is actually an expression of our true freedom. But rebellious freedom has no regard for anyone other than ourselves. It's selfish. For instance, if we exercise a certain freedom behind the wheel of a car, that freedom can only lead to destruction for ourselves and very possibly for others. We see the harm that can come from a false freedom the, servant, the serpent promises. We witness it to the extreme right now. How one man can issue a war and terrorize an innocent nation 
while the world wonders how do we stop someone who answers to no one, who thinks he has ultimate freedom. On a more personal level, we can acknowledge how in our own misled and individualized freedom, no one, we believe no one can tell us that our actions are harmful to ourselves or to anyone else. If you're familiar with any 12-step program, someone must hit absolute rock bottom before they can acknowledge that their behavior isn't about doing what they want to do, about being a slave to addiction, being helpless to its entrapment, and ultimately causing destruction to themselves and others. A desire to pursue our freedom at the expense of others' well-being means we've rebelled against God's love. We've chosen to believe the serpent. Yet in a desire to pursue us out of that rebellion, to save us from the serpent's grasp, God steps into the humbleness of humanity. God comes to be one among us, to show us, to model for us what will truly set our hearts free. Jesus reveals in his life and his teachings and in his death that a life lived in service to God and to others, that is what frees us. That frees us from the entrapment of worldly expectation and success and power. It frees us from the brokenness of seeing others as a burden instead of a brother. A life lived in pursuit of and in service to God is a freedom to live without the pressure to be more than another, to have more than another. In church, when we pray this prayer in our communion liturgy, we confess that. We confess that we are seeking a different kind of freedom than the world promises, than the serpent offers. We're seeking a righteous freedom a freedom that finds its expression when it contributes to the building of God's kingdom here on earth. When our actions through the Holy Spirit's empowerment reflect a love of God and neighbor, a love freely given. May we know that this story of humanity's rebellion will always, always, be overshadowed by the greater story of God's unrelenting love for us. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, we pray for your mercy. The words of your prophet Isaiah strike like a double-edged sword, a piercing light into our darkened lives. Our rebellion is exposed day after day and week after week, Sunday after Sunday. We claim to seek after God, and yet we continue to serve our own interests, and in doing so, blindly oppress our neighbors, both near and distant. We confess that we use our acts of piety to make ourselves feel good about ourselves, to assure ourselves that we are Christians, to confidently claim that we're different from the rest of the world. But as Isaiah says, we use our piety, our Lenten fast, and even this time of praying to turn our heads upwards to the heights of heaven while we crush the people around us underfoot. We walk blindly, unaware of our destruction. As you say in Isaiah, the piety you desire, O God, happens as we contemplate the sinister ways the lives we enjoy may be wrapped up 
and hidden oppressions, secret violences. Thus you call us to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke, to share our bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into our homes. And when we see the naked, to cover them and not to hide ourselves from the needy. We pray truly that in your mercy, O oh God, you will go before us, preparing our eyes and ears to contemplate our lives during this season of Lent, so that we may discover the victims hidden from us and repent of our sins. Then, O oh Lord, as your prophet declares, we may begin to see how your light shall break forth from our midst like a dawn, and your healing hands will work through ours. We will be given the profound gift of serving in your kingdom, participating in your work of redemption, joining our lives to yours and tasting the fruit of eternal life. Hold us in your grace, O oh God, that we may practice this kind of piety, this kind of Lenten fasting that bears witness to the justice of your holy embrace with which you hold the whole world. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org. 